what you're striving to find during these runs is a positive attitude. For me, anyway, you're always trying to think positively because there's no benefit in thinking negatively. So I probably felt the hill you were chatting about, but I wasn't going to bring a negative thought into my head and say, like you had said to me, that was a tough hill or something. If I had replied, agreed with you, yeah, that was tough. Then suddenly it's the door has opened the crack to a form of something negative. So straight away, I'm trying to stay positive. So I'll say, like, what hill and, and what rain? Unless I can find something positive to say in it. Because when it wasn't raining, it was really hot during that run. So, yeah, bring on the rain because it will cool me down. Take it from a positive perspective. But you don't want to let in any negative thought because it, there's no benefit in it at all. It doesn't do anything for you but drag you down. Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And today I'm joined by Ed McGrorty. Ed is an Irish international ultra runner from Lifford County, Donegal. He is the Irish 24-hour record holder with a distance of 256.70 kilometres set in Belfast, Victoria Park in October 2021, which was also the Irish National Championship, so he is the national champion for 2021. He also holds a 24-hour indoor record with a distance of 249.761 kilometres set in Espoo, Finland in February 2020. There's a lot of other stuff I could mention, but rather than include it in an intro, I'm going to touch on different races, different records, as you get further into the conversation. So, Ed, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, John, and, and congratulations on an excellent podcast. It's very, uh, very interesting. Let's go back to 2019. 24-hour race in Belfast, Victoria Park was the national championships. I was taking part in that race as well. At one stage, we were running close enough, same pace, same lap, were you slightly ahead? Now, I'll also add that this was maybe in the third quarter or maybe just a little bit past halfway. So there's still a long way to go. As you both know, you can't really say where you were in a 24-hour race at that stage. I noticed then that you had pulled into your crew area. So you were sitting in your tent and Louise and Angela were there. And the next time I passed after completing a lap, you were still sitting down. And I went in and I was going to chat to you. You weren't in great form. But you got back into the race after having what was almost looking like a bit of a setback. And you went on to cover a distance of 219.296 kilometers, which is just shy of the international B standard. Can you remember that race? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, and I remember you you stopping and coming into the tent when I was sitting down. At that stage of the race, I was, I was at a point where I was... Just really tired, but not so much tired as sleepy. Uh, I was really sleepy on my feet, and I was really, really slow. And I was probably doing a bit of a run walk or something. And I felt that I just needed to sit down and take a full five minutes, close the eyes, and then I was planning on getting up again. And after now, my my crew didn't believe that that was going to happen. You know, they didn't they didn't believe I was going to just sit down for for five minutes. They were never going to get me back out of the chair. Um, but that was sort of the plan. And then uh, then you came around and 
you stopped in and you were you were sort of like well I think I remember you saying something like what what the hell are you doing what are you what are you doing sitting there you're right up there at the, at the top of the field and you should be you know playing on at this stage and why are you sitting down and what's going on and I think that just sort of bolted me out of the chair and it was just a, a matter of get on and, and and get moving again but I was I I was at one of those stages where you either give into it or you get on with it and I had at that point given into it and and sat down and I and I did get going again all right and there's a lesson to be learned there because the more that happens to you in a race the more you realize that you didn't have to stop and sit down and that you did have more to give it's a lesson that you know you learn through many races and eventually you remember that lesson uh, in a race before you stop or or when you're going through those thoughts in your head telling you that you have to stop you have to sit down um, and so that was a, a really important lesson for me to learn at a really good time of uh, my running journey and I and I remember it well I don't remember a lot of things that happen in races and it's normally relayed to me after by uh, my crew whereas I might have a a, a different scenario in my head thinking I'm doing brilliant and they're actually saying no at that stage actually we thought you were you were finished uh, but that particular moment I do recollect very well and and I remember you stopping and thinking afterwards I'm so glad John stopped because that just bolted me out of the chair it made me it made me think but oh, this is this is John O'Regan you know what I mean a, a guy I'd, I'd been following for years his his running career and, and he stopped and made the, made a point of getting me out of this chair and get me going again and and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a valuable lesson that I that I I still use now. Yeah. Well, the reason I mentioned that particular incident was because I don't think you've set down in a race since then. And in 2019, that you didn't actually run a PB that year. Your your PB previous to that was set the year before in Victoria Park. It was 222.263 kilometers. So I suppose you went into the race in 2019 expecting, as we all do each time we do a race, to improve and your pre-B improve. So you actually had a little bit of a setback. You were moving forward with your distances, but 2019 seemed to be a little little bit of a dip. Now I'm going to jump backwards a little, a little bit more and to go back to when your ultra-running career started. So you did the Connemara Ultra in 2014. You finished in six hours, eight minutes, which would be an average time, especially average compared to what you're doing now. And later that year, you did the Tralee 100K, finishing fifth overall in fourth male in a time of nine hours, 55 minutes, 43 seconds. Do you remember that race and what made you enter it? Uh, what made me enter... Well, let's say um, the, the two races, the Connemara Ultra, because with that being your, your yeah, fourth well, you ultimatum. See, August 2012, I started running. And then August 2013, I was training for the Dublin Marathon. You know, I was halfway through training for that. And I came across the Connemara 100 on Facebook, and that was happening during my training. And that was my first experience of ultra uh, running, I didn't. I never heard of anything beyond the marathon distance. Uh, so, I, I decided then that I wanted to do the Connemara 100 mile, uh, and I wanted to do an ultra. Uh, and I went about at that stage. I believe the best way to approach it was to build the miles up. So I did Dublin in October, 
and that was my first marathon. And then in 2013, and then I entered the. I just looked around for races to see what was there and what suited my my fits in with my schedule and whatnot. So the Connemara Ultra was on. It gave me time to recover and train after Dublin, and uh, I, yeah, I entered that and, and raced that. And and it was on part of the Connemara 100 course too, which sort of drew me down towards that race, I suppose. Um, and then the Tralee 100K was being advertised. It was the first the first time it was being done, and I thought, well, that's another step up from the 40 miles up to 62 miles. That will you know prepare me for when I enter the Connemara 100, which was going to be the following year. Yeah, I went down to Tralee on my own. And I had a really good run. I had no no ambition. I didn't know what well, anyone should be running in a 100K. I just went out at a pace that felt comfortable. And there wasn't a huge crowd there. And I sort of found myself at the front, but just went on about my business and enjoyed, enjoyed the race. Beautiful scenery. It was great to be down in a new place in a different part of the country. And uh, I had my phone on me, you know, to phone uh, Louise to keep in touch and let her know how things were going. And... I got to an aid station and I, I, you know, maybe three quarters into the race or, and I phoned Louise and told her, you know, geez, I'm, I'm in like, I think I was in fourth place at that stage. Uh, and I was like, you know, I was delighted. I was, I couldn't believe I was in fourth place in my first hundred K. So, so I was really buzzing off and enjoying it. Um, you might remember the name of the woman that overtook me to become first female there. Cause I ended up fifth place. Is an excellent English uh, 100k runner, um, but uh, but yeah, I, actually I went off course as well in that in that race. Uh, I missed one of the one of the one of the turning markers and ended up uh, getting lost. And then I phoned the race director, um, and uh, he put me back on course, and I made it made it back around to where I should have been, and then continued on. And uh, and yeah, was d- delighted to finish in 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 the time I did, and and uh, and was just ready to to go 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 longer. You know what I mean? I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a real adventure, like you know. Yeah, that lady was Jane Angley from the UK. Yes, Jane Angley. That's right. Jane. And I also went wrong during that race. I I was sent the wrong direction. I think I did an extra five kilometers, and it's very hard to come back from something like that. I can remember. When I went wrong, and the guy who sent me the wrong way, which is a local, and he drove after me to tell me he had sent me the wrong way, and I was remember getting quite angry, and my heart rate was elevated, and I started running faster than, than I should have been running to get back to the point where I went wrong, and that totally messed me up. Anyway, that's enough about me. So moving on from that, you, you did go on and do the... Connemara 100 but that was a few years later was it that was uh, 2016 yeah Yeah, and you did quite well in that you actually ended up winning the race that year if I'm not mistaken yeah that's right yeah now moving on from the Connemara 100 in 2018 you took part in last one standing and compared to what you had been doing and have been doing I wouldn't say it was your best performance. You did it. You finished 12. Oh, no. Yeah, 121.666 kilometers. Now, the format of that race is everyone starts off at the same time in a lap. They complete a lap and they wait until the next lap is about to start. And if somebody is timed out during a lap, they're out of the race until there's only 
two runners remaining and then when one of them drops out the lead runner has to complete another lap and they're declared the winner what happened to you during that race now i'm not saying it was a bad result but there's expectations that would, yeah, I suppose, yeah. w- would be placed on you now and i suppose you you're probably placing a lot of them on yourself as well yeah i i don't feel pressure from outside i don't feel expectations from other people i i uh, that's not something that comes in that I think about at all. I expect stuff myself, and then if I don't achieve it, uh, you know what I mean. I've learned to just uh, to move on. It's not it's not life or death situation. But I don't I I don't feel pressure from outside from anyone else expecting anything from me. Definitely not. Um, so any race I go into, I don't I don't feel any outside pressure. It's just my own personal pressure and, and goals. So yeah, last one standing. I wanted to give it a shot. Uh, I was sort of, I was intrigued by it, you know, like everyone is really, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's very different. It definitely has a place in ultra running, but it's very different to other ultras. Um, uh, and really what got me in that race was um, the stopping every hour. I am in, I can't quite remember at what stage I was in running 24 hours, but I, my goal was always to run nonstop in any race. It was to me giving in, giving into the pressure and walking or giving into that, uh, that pain or that mental pain and stopping and sitting was, was to me was, was failing at a, at a race. So I didn't train to stop train myself mentally or physically to stop every hour, which I probably should have for that race. So every hour we were stopping, I, I was there with my brother, who's an ultra runner as well, and uh, we did it together. Well, we were there together. And uh, yeah, every hour we were stopping, and I was getting in at around 45 minutes maybe, or I think I did the first lap or second lap in 43, like way too quick, uh, even though the course was sort of hilly like you know what I mean I could have walked more of the course but I was getting in way too quick and I was sitting down and I was getting cold I suppose or I was getting bored uh, I was eating far too much because I, I had nothing else to do I was sitting there eating too much and really by I think I got to 18 hours I was physically fine like I I could, could have kept going and going but I was just fed up uh, I was fed up stopping every hour and I, I, the format didn't at that time didn't suit me, or I hadn't prepared myself for for the format, and hadn't prepared myself psychologically for for that for that stop start. Um, and I actually after that, I I just felt no last one standing format isn't for me. It's it's not something I enjoy. I had only done it once, like, but I felt no, it's not for me. I, I don't enjoy it. I don't like stopping every hour. I, I you know, I'd rather. It, I was training myself by doing the last one standing. I was sort of going backwards on myself because I felt then, if I was to do any more of them, then getting back to twenty-four hour running and and trying to run non-stop, I was nearly going backwards on myself. Um, so that's what happened in uh, at that race. Yeah. A key takeaway I'd get from that now is that you have to train specifically, regardless of what the event is. So if the event requires you to have a stop start, then you have to train yourself to stop start. And I suppose some people probably discover that during a marathon, if they have to stop and use the toilet, that when they try to come out again, that 
it takes a bit of an effort to get moving again because the legs start to seize up. And that's probably what was happening with you. You were going from being in motion, being stationary, body starts to return to to uh, normal. And then you're asking to do something again. As you said, you have to train yourself to stop start. Now, although you say that format wasn't for you, the following year, 2019, you took part in something very, very similar, the Big Dogs Backyard, which was the big race. So you finished first in that race with a distance of 281.630 kilometers. And as we mentioned, with that format, you can only continue until you are the last person standing, regardless of how much more is left in you. You can't continue going more than one extra lap if the person you're competing against at that moment has dropped out. Now, I know we can't know for definite, as it's like saying, I could have done this if I didn't get injured or if I didn't get sick. Or, but based on your other performance indicators, the signs were there that you could have gone further. When you finished in that race, do you think you had much more left inside you? You see, it's, it's yeah, I, I, like personally, yes, I, I, I felt I had more. You see, it's, it's funny when, when I, I, first of all, I believed I had in my head at that point, I, like, I have, I had, a, I was thinking to myself, I have like 20 hours left, right? That's what I, I just sort of picked that figure out of my head, right? But I, I, when I was sitting down in between, when I was getting close to the end, like I figured I have, like I have 20 hours left. That's what I remember saying to myself. I have hours and hours left at this, um, you know. So that that's that's how I felt on like the last few laps. But then from around 36 hours, 37 hours in that race, I now whether it's true or not. I saw signs in other runners and it made me feel this race isn't going to go on for too much longer. Uh, that's just how I was thinking at the time. And, and maybe that's not true of the other runners that were in the race. But, but psychologically, I felt, I don't think this is going to go on for much longer. Five, six, seven, eight hours. <clears throat> and then when people start dropping off, um, you start thinking, like, I, I started thinking, I, I, can, I, can win, I believe I can win this race. I, I'm just wondering how long it's, it's going to take to win it. Um, and then that feeling of this race might only go for another two or three hours longer can have a negative psychological effect on you. Because like, I was no longer under, I didn't feel under pressure to keep running good laps. I just felt I need to get out for the next lap because any lap, lap now, I think is going to be the last lap. And you nearly, you nearly relax a bit too much. It's hard to explain, but I would say knowing that the end of the race was coming, like not knowing for sure, but I had a feeling that the end of the race was coming very soon, that I just had to, to wait it out. My body was relaxing and I was nearly getting more tired that way because I had the real drive and instinct to win was starting to go because I felt I was in a very strong position and the other runners were looking a little bit more tired than me. But if that hadn't have happened, if I, I would say in the last few hours, if I saw the other runners were still really strong, then I would have felt really strong 
and kept pushing because the drive to to be the last one there would have been there. But actually, an hour forty, I felt the second last competitor was was going to sort of pull out or thirty nine or forty. And I started thinking to myself, it was early morning, like it was like four in the morning or something. And I was thinking, if if he pulls out now, I run more one more lap, and I get a few hours tipping the car, I could be home before the kids are home from school. So I had this plan in my head that I really hope this race ends now in the next couple of hours because I I have other stuff to do. You know what I mean? I can get home and because we've been there for a few days and I've been away from my my wife and family for a few couple of days, like. So I was thinking, I can get home now before the kids are home from school and be there to meet them. The the last person standing, I think, normally wants the second last person standing to keep going if they're the stronger one because they want to rack up as many hours as possible. But when I realized that wasn't it wasn't going to go huge, then I wanted it to end sooner so I could so I could get home. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And you have prevented me from asking the next question that was developing as you were talking which was, were you relieved when the race was over or would you have preferred to keep going? Or did you feel a bit cheated? And the reason I was thinking that is because Keith Russell covered a distance of 424.412 kilometres during the last one standing in May of this year, 2021. And that was made possible because he was pushed by Joey V. Tolentino who covered a distance of 417.676 kilometres. And the only way they could see what their actual limits were was because they had someone else as strong that was able to push them to it. So in that race, you could say Keith might not have been tested to his limits, whereby Joy V was. And in your race, you weren't tested to your limits, but the others were. So there's still that not knowing. But if we were to jump forward with you, most recently in this year, you ran from Mizzenhead to Malinhead a distance of, would it be around 570 kilometres? Would that be right? Uh, no, I think it's 550 kilometres. Well, that, that's that's what my route, my mapped route was 550k, which I think was three, 340 miles. Now, that's a typical Ed McGrorty. I'm at the saying a distance that was more than what you covered. And you have corrected me by downsizing it rather than leave it at that or let me exaggerate. And the reason why I'm highlighting this now is because I'm seeing so many spoofers out there in the ultra running world and seeing a lot of it very, very close to home where there's people talking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to win this race, not backing it up with any training. They don't turn up on the start line or else they get injured. I could have done this if I didn't get injured or my I was leading until halfway and then I had stomach problems or all the excuses. But anyway, let's get back to it. So you covered that. That's my little rant, or part of my rant. There'll be a bigger rant coming at a later stage. But anyway, so Mizzenhead to Malinhead, you covered that distance in three days, one hour and 55 minutes, setting a new record for the challenge. And I can remember talking to somebody while you were on the road, and you might have been a little bit behind schedule based on somebody having to stop and take breaks, but you didn't. You kept going and you completed the distance and record time. And actually, towards the end of it, I was thinking you were going the wrong way. And I phoned or texted Louise, say, Are you, have you taken the wrong turn? Now, I shouldn't have thought that because it was when you were on the home stretch and you were you were close to home. But you took a bit of a scenic route. Maybe you didn't want the thing to, to end. But can you tell me how you approach something like that? Um, 
Well, going back to the last one standing and saying that I hadn't prepared for the stop start, um, I think I hadn't mentally prepared for that, right? And my approach to any of these long distance runs, whether it's the 24 hour or the last one standing or the, the Mitten to Mallon, the physical training approach is the same. Um, it's really just consistent training. Now, I'll just briefly say that there's like there's no huge back-to-backs. There's no uh, big, long six hours on a Saturday, six hours on a Sunday. I haven't done those in years. Um, I think when you've mentally prepared for the distance or you've mentally covered big distances, that's the biggest, the hardest part of training for a big distance is been knowing that you can, that you are believing that you can cover that distance. So physically trying to train, personally now, this is my own point of view, physically trying to train for, for these big distances. You can't really change the training much. You just have to do what you can do um, and what you enjoy doing, obviously, and what you have time to do with, that fits into your lifestyle. So the physical training of running for Miz and the Mallon was just like my normal, my regular training, which isn't huge. Um, and the, mentally, I was training for it like I had trained for other races in the past. Uh, I, would, I would read a lot of like motivational books and stuff and I would try and stay really, really positive throughout my entire training and focus on, on the goal. Um, and my goal, my personal goal for Ms. Mallon and something I wouldn't, would never have said before to anyone except my crew. And I can say now because it's, it's after the race. Even if I had failed at my, my goal, I would still say now what I was trying to do. But I believed I could run under three days. Um, and there was a couple of reasons for that. So I had the advantage of seeing Ian break the record. And I ran with Ian in 2017 from uh, Straban through Darien into Muff. So maybe 50k or something of that, that run with Ian. And I hounded Ian for, for information about Milton to Mallon. Um, and that time I ran with Ian was when it planted the seed for me to, to, do, to do the run. And it was just a matter of trying to, uh, to fit it in over the years. Like I could never really fit it in. So I had a massive advantage doing it because I had firsthand seen how Ian was sort of doing it for a bunch of hours. Uh, Ian told me everything I wanted to know, answered every question, you know what I mean, uh, that I had on the race. Uh, he gave me the route and everything, told me the best route, told me, you know, where the hard parts were. Um, and actually, he, in multi-day running, I had no experience, like, um, and he just kept telling me that day two was going to be the hardest. And when you get through day two, then day three, it, it just becomes normal. You know, you find a, you find a rhythm and you, and, get into it now i had to trust them that that was going to be the case but obviously i'd never experienced that before unfortunately for ian he was well able to break mimi anderson's previous record easily and i'd say unfortunately because that didn't push him as hard as i believe he could have been pushed to run missing to Mallon. he had a great big buffer after muff like i i remember leaving him saying you have it Ian. you, you know you have it in the bag you know enjoy this now good luck in the next 50k and but Ian was still focused. He was still no like when it when I get to the when I get to Malin, that's when I have it, and not until then. But you know, he, he, at that stage, he was probably 
10 hours ahead of the record like so he didn't have to be pushed which meant maybe he might have eased off or which to me meant he could have probably run even much much better uh, much better time in missing the melon so i had the advantage of ian's experience and i had a a big target massive target to go for 75 hours uh, in around around that uh, really, really hard target. And I had heard Ian say before, like that was hard. Like he found this to be one of his best runs like. And you don't take that lightly from who I consider to be Ireland's greatest ultra runner, you know what I mean, across multi-terrain and, and distances. But I had a personal goal of sub three days I be- because I believed I can I can break sub three days. and uh, And I just told my crew that, so that was the plan. And I knew Ian had taken a couple of two-hour sleeping breaks, or at least one two-hour sleeping break, because I was following, following, you know, following the tracker. And I knew I couldn't really outrun him because the pace was too hard. So I had to outsleep him, um, and that's where I held the biggest advantage. And Ian, Ian knows that's where I, I got the biggest advantage. That I knew I couldn't stop for this for these big sleeps otherwise I, w- I wouldn't be able to to break the record and so the first day we ran close to 200k I'll go back and say I was reluctant to to uh, announce that I was doing Mitten to Malin. Um I didn't really want any attention and I knew people probably ex- ex- expected me to go for the record they definitely didn't expect a lot of people wouldn't have expected me to break the record because it was such a fantastic record but they definitely expected me to go for it and probably believed I was going to try first and I didn't really want that attention but I also (laughs) wanted loads of help along the way you know I wanted people to come out and run with me so that I could have some company so I I was sort of reluctantly announced that I was going to run Mitten de Mallon I definitely didn't announce I was going to attempt to break the record and then I said if anyone wants to come out with me which it's a double-edged sword because I get the company of runners and also it's evidence that I'm, I'm out there running it. Not that I, I cared. I didn't care if anyone believed I was sitting in the back of the car or I wasn't running it. or You know what I mean? That didn't bother me. But there was evidence there then that I was out on the course running it. Um, so, yeah, loads of help in the first, in the first day. Uh, Alex O'Shea started with me and ran a, ran a marathon at least, maybe more, and... Uh, yeah, music ran a hundred k with me on the first day. I can't mention everyone that ran with me because there must have been fifty people that ran with me. It was amazing. But uh, yeah, we we ran through the. I ran with Jan for a hundred k, and we ran the hilliest section of the of the whole route. We we ran too hard. We were running at like nine minute miles up through the hills in Cork, like, and the downhills were fine until the next day when my quads were totally shot. So yeah, day two, like Ian had told me, day two was the hardest day. And day two, there was a lot of walking. There was a lot of uh, pain in the quads. And at that point, I, I felt I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to be able to break this record or I'm not going to be able to achieve my goal. Um, now, my crew, which are absolutely vital I believe now, and I don't. I don't believe any any of my runs are are solo runs anymore. It's all it's a team a team event. Every time I enter a race, it's a it's a team event because I'm walking 
working out how long it's going to take me to walk to Malinhead. Like literally, I was wor- working out how long it would take me to walk to Malinhead, and uh, and they were working out how to get me going again, and that we were still on target, and he just needed to get moving and stuff, and and they were figuring stuff out in the car uh, while I was, you know, pretty much down down on my luck like and uh and just and just walking in the in the rain um i'm going to talk so, a little go ahead john yeah no no you go ahead your your voice is more important than mine no 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 i'm 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 rambling here i could go on forever about this missing the malin well just as you mentioned your crew i ran a small section of that room which was well and I spent a little bit of time with your crew so i could see how switched on and professional they were and I'll also reiterate that they were both key to your success that day. They were very, very switched on. Oh, I can remember when I was running with you and we went up very, very steep hill. And I said to you, eh, that was some hill. Gee, that was, I was really, really feeling it. And you said, what hill? And then we had a shower of rain. And I said, I'm glad that rain has stopped. And you said, what rain? And you said that you were just ignoring everything that was going on around you. You were just focused on your target. And it's easy to train the body, but it's not so easy to train the mind. And I think that the mind gets trained when the body is brought towards its limits. Some people have an overemphasis on the mental side of the ultramarathon. And I think it makes them lazy with the physical part of the training. What would your thoughts be on what I've just said? Well, well, yeah. When I said what hill and what what rain, what you're striving to find during these runs is a positive attitude. For me, anyway, you're always trying to think positively because there's no benefit in thinking negatively. So I probably felt the hill you were chatting about, but I wasn't going to bring a negative thought into my head and say, like you had said to me, that was a tough hill or something. If I had replied agreed with you yeah that was tough then suddenly it's the door has opened the crack a, a form of something negative so straight away i'm trying to stay positive so i'll say like what hill and and what rain unless i can find something positive to say in it because when it wasn't raining it was really hot during that run so yeah bring on the rain because it'll cool me down take it from a positive perspective but you don't want to let in any any negative thought because it there's no benefit in it at all it doesn't do anything for you but drag you down and um, i feel that the mental side of ultra running was the missing cog in the wheel for me really it was the one area that i hadn't like you hear people going on about it being uh, you know a, a lot of mental but but i didn't really believe that enough until i had look back on different races and seeing where I had gone wrong and realized that it was the mental that was letting me down. And that's where you train the mental though is during those other races. You don't train your mind by telling people you have a strong mind. It has to it has to be trained when it when it's tested. Like that time when you were sitting down in the tent in twenty nineteen, I would bet that when you finish that race less than eight hundred meters shy of 220 kilometers you probably thought to yourself if i didn't stay sitting as long as i did that time i would have been over 220 kilometers like 800 meters was what two minutes 
And yeah. that is yeah. the difference. And then there's the other races that you took part in, say, taking a wrong turn during the Tralee 100k. That would finish a lot of people because it's adding extra distance and also because you've got lost is mentally will affect your your mental plan. And that would be enough yeah. to actually stop some. I've, I've seen people DNFing in races like the Kerry Uldred because they've, they've gone off course and they're just defeated then because they know they, they maybe lost their position. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I think you need to have a plan and a goal. Now, can um, I just, I just want to, just as you mentioned that away, right, your plan, everyone has a plan until they get slapped in the face, which is a saying attributed to Mike Tyson. And with a run or a race, everyone has a plan until they stand on the start line. And I can remember yeah. talking to you in Belfast this year, 2021, when you set what is the now Irish national record for 24 hours. And before the race, you told me exactly what your what your plan was. And I spoke to a lot of other people and they all had their, had their own plans. But when the race started, like what Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until they get slapped in the face. The gun went off, the race started, and every plans just fell apart. You stuck with your plan. And I think by observing the race, that a lot of people fell into other people's plans. They were either running, well, I don't think anybody was running slower than they planned to run. Most people were running faster than they had planned to run, but your laps were on target all the time. So you must have a lot of confidence now in your ability to actually stick with your plan. So again, I'm after interrupting you, but I think that just came into my head there and I didn't want to, didn't want to lose that. So can you remember, yeah, yeah, can yeah. you remember where we were before I interrupted you? Um, well, I think, I think when you talk about Mike Tyson saying that, right, that you have a plan until you get slapped in the face, right? But you have to have a plan for when you get slapped in the face. So you have to have a plan B. Um, you know, like if you have a plan A and it goes out the window because you got a slap in the face, then you really haven't planned properly at all. Um, like I, I would have a plan A right down to a plan C, or sorry, a plan, a plan E. And plan E is, is, is normally just get to the finish. Don't, don't give up. Don't stop moving forward. So as you go through the plans and you're missing them, which I've missed lots of plans over the years, like, and that, that first 100K, like I didn't really have a plan. I was naive in ultra running and didn't really know what I was doing. But I did know that I wanted to run or, or to finish a 100K. I wanted to get to the end of a 100K. So, so even though I got sidetracked and lost and stuff like that, I was still out there and I was still able to move forward. And my plan wasn't to break a certain time. So it wasn't like my plan was out the window. It was just, just to finish. And now I, real, I realize that, that no, no matter what happens in a, in a race, from experience of DNFing 24 hours in the past, that no matter what happens in a race, you got to get to the finish because after that race, you're going to be glad you finished no matter what, even if you finish last and you're, and you're walking and you feel demoralized for doing so. Um, after you get to the finish of that race or you stick it out or you push through, you're going to be a better runner and a better person for it, for it after. And it's only going to stand to you. It's only going to be a, have a positive effect. Um, yeah, I think that's very so important. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Sorry, me interrupting you again. Look, I think it's very important what you said there, having all the way down to plan A, having 
options. Now, options and other plans might not always be a good team because they can give you a safety net and an escape route. But if you start dropping out of races because things aren't going your way and accepting an easy DNF uh, did not finish, what you're doing there is practicing not finishing rather than practicing finishing. It's during the times when races aren't going your way and you have to dig deep and accept what would be a less than good performance for yourself and not be concerned with coming last or way down the field. That's the time when you keep your ego in check and you train the mind as well as train the body. And I think that if you do finish, give it what you have, you will sleep better that night and you recover quicker. A physical injury, such as pulled muscle, shin splints, other stuff to be heard of, can be easier to heal and come back from than the mental injury of dropping out of a race and knowing that maybe you have stopped, not for a genuine reason, that you've made a conscious decision, a conscious quitter, that you've made, you've taken the easy way out and stopped because it just wasn't going your way or you just couldn't be bothered. I think that kind of preys on your mind and it can be hard to come back from that. Yeah, well, I think the word, the one word you use there and something that I think about a lot is, is uh, ego. Uh, ego can have a, a, a terrible effect on, on your race, on, on your performance, you know? And and that's where I think trying not to think too far ahead in a race and or trying not to think of what's happened in, in, in the previous areas of a race and just trying to stay in, in the moment of a race and keep doing whatever you can, can do in that moment be it be running or walking or whatever you're capable of doing. But I think ego ego plays a big part mentally in a race, especially if you are uh, realize that your plan A isn't 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 gonna happen, isn't gonna develop, you know, the ego can really can really drag you down. Exactly. And going into a race, like say if you went into the twenty four race in Belfast and you've been telling everyone I'm going to win this race and I'm going to smash it is the big word I'm going to do this to. and then it's not going your way from early on in it. what do you do then do you continue going and just accept the result you're going to get or do you pull up saying I had stomach problems or I had a sore leg or coming up with some kind of a I don't know what it'd be called a reason or an excuse but I think that's where the ego can really really let somebody down is declaring something that you can't back up yeah, absolutely. But I I don't see why you go around telling anyone what you're what you're going to do or what you plan on doing because I don't I'm not sure anyone else is really interested in what anyone else is is doing. I, I'm not too interested in it. You know, I, I I train for for my own personal satisfaction to do well in in races and I have plans and 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 goals that I want to hit. And then when you hit them, you you it it feels great and you're delighted you know what I mean and, and the training and all that's paid off but but uh, you know I, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't really be too interested in going around telling everyone what you're planning on doing I don't I wouldn't see the benefit in that I don't see how that fits into 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 running really you know what I mean yeah well so in it's, general it's very personal yeah exactly but it, it doesn't happen say with you know guys who are out there competing but it it, it is out there you know that, that there are people 
I suppose, ego-driven rather than doing the actual training and, and paying their dues with actually doing these events and yeah. was taking part. They're talking the talk rather than walking the walk. Now, recently, you started posting some of your training on Facebook. I, I had a look, but I was more interested in the comments. So there's a lot, lot of interest. But what I think people need to be aware of as well with uh, training, that what you do is what you can do and it's based on what you have done and there'd be stuff that you do that's specific to you so we call it individual specificity you're working with a coach so i'm sure your coach is paying attention to your past performances and and future goals and basing a plan around what he knows that you can do so what i'm just really saying there is that when we look at what other people are doing we always need to be cautious in that it doesn't mean that we can do it. The training that you've been doing o- over the years has developed a very strong body, very strong mindset. So you can absorb the training that you're putting your body under. So with, with posting up your training on Facebook, you are showing that there are no secrets and it's all down to hard work and actually getting out there and doing the training so you can do the training. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason I put up those last two posts of uh, training was to show that there there is no secrets, to be transparent in it. You know, um, now the details in the in the sessions are are sort of irrelevant. But the idea behind it was to show that this is one way you can train and still achieve, you know, a, a big goal, and uh, it's you know some quality personally some quality over over quantity and like you say relevant to the individual and personally i I have a a big aerobic background of years of easy miles that now i can i can focus on the more quality but yeah it was i put up those posts because i think they were something i would have liked to have seen a few years ago and just to show that it's not some sort of secret club you know that this is how i do it and then I'd welcome any questions about how I do it because I'd love to tell everyone, answer anyone's questions about anything they'd like to ask. You know what I mean? There's there's no there's no secret like you say. Um, but my training plan was set by a coach who first asked me, "What am I available to do? What's my lifestyle like, and how much time can I spare?" And that training plan is based around what I'm actually willing to to give to running. Because when I'm out running, I'm not home with my family. So, you know, it's precious time I'm giving up. Um, and that's how a lot of those days are, are based around what's available to me. And really, those eight, nine mile are based around my kids going to sports. So I bring them to, I bring them to a training session. They do lots of sports. So every single night they're training uh, during season. So I bring them to, to training I go run eight or nine miles, I come back, I collect them from training, and then we come home. And that's what a lot of those runs were based around, that I only had an hour or an hour and 15 minutes available during the week and in the evenings, and my coach built it around that. And funny enough, we that time when I was sitting in the tent in Belfast and you came, that I had been with my coach at that stage for maybe six months or seven or eight months, and we had brought the training from me doing 100 mile weeks or something big back to back back then to right down to 60, 65 mile weeks and trying to focus on, on more quality and build me up. And, and what happened was that I didn't, 
like that was the first time I didn't run a PB, but I was basically within a couple of kilometers of my PB. And I realized that even though my training had nearly halved in mileage per week, I still had the endurance to be able to run up close to 220k. So it didn't have an effect on my, my ultra running. Um, and I stuck with the coach then, just stuck it out to see. There's my dog barking here. Um, and yeah, so that's why I put up that plan to show that. Oh, I might have to edit this out. Dogs are okay, Ed. I had a steamroller when I was talking here. to Ricky Wynn. He's, he's barking at the postman here. They're supposed to bark at the postman. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, so that's why I posted that up to show that you didn't have to do the huge mileage and the huge back-to-back and there was just a, a, another way of doing it. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad you did that because I noticed that with ultra runners that there seems to be that school of thought that you have to be doing really, really long runs at the weekend and doing back-to-back long runs of four to six hours. And what they really do is they cause that fatigue in the legs. So although you hear this this uh, talk of running on third legs if your legs are too third you lose a called muscle integrity where your your muscles can't absorb the impact and your your form changes and that in itself would have lead to injury and it just slows you down so you should only do what you can recover from and what you mentioned there about reducing your volume down to around 65 miles a week that would be 65 miles of mostly quality and it, you have a a strong body, a strong mind, and you were able to train yourself at the intensity and duration that's needed. There's a guy I know over in the UK, Damien Carr, himself would run 65, 70 miles a week, and he recently ran 262 kilometers in a 24-hour race. So it proves it can be done, but you those can't really take shortcuts either. And it is specific to the individual. So you you have to do what needs to be done. And it's a case of do the work, keep showing up. And there are no secrets, but there are also no shortcuts. Or a wrong way to do it. I mean, we're all very individual when it comes to training and what we're able to do and what we enjoy doing. Um, and I just think it's important to show that there there are different ways. Um, now, right now, we I, I'm up to 75 miles and I'll probably build 80 miles a week uh, you know, I I don't want people to think I only run 65 miles a week, but but yeah, it's it's more to show that there is another. If if your way isn't working for you, that there is another way to do it that can help you improve. You know. So Ed, you hold the national record for 24 hours, which currently stands at 256.570 kilometers. You also hold the indoor record of 249.761 kilometers. And as well as that, you hold the record for running from Mizzenhead to Malinhead, which you did in just over three days. So I suppose a question that most people would have on their minds now would be, what's next? Do you have anything in mind in the short term? Uh, the short term, well, I was really keen to run a, a 48-hour um, early next year. Um, it's not working out for me Um they're hard to come by and I wanted to get it done before sort of March, April time. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, but there's a last, I'll, I'll probably go back to last one standing in uh, February in Castle Ward in, in Northern Ireland. Um, that will be the beginning of the year. And then uh, that will give me a, 
a lot of time to prepare for the Belfast 24 hour again, the national championships, and then hopefully another 24 hour in September time. So that's sort of next year's plan, and it'll be you know be looking really the A races to try and improve again on my on my 24 hour distance. That's you know that's really my 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 favorite. Um, and that's what I'll be looking to do next year. As you mentioned, the 48-hour race, would you approach that in the same way as the 24-hour, or would you have a different strategy? Uh, from a physical training point of view, it'll be. I think it'll be the exact same. Uh, the strategy, my strategy for 24 hours is, the goal is always to run non-stop, even pace, uh, and only take toilet breaks. That's the only time... So just necessary breaks, that's it. Uh, for the 48-hour, which I, I've never done a 48-hour before, um, I will be looking to run, I would be looking to run at even even pace. Um, but I know day two is going to be really hard and there's not a lot of uh, margin for error because I think over over three days, like Miz and the Mallon, I had I had I was able to have a bad day and then and then get back on track. Whereas in the forty eight hour, you know you can't you can't have a a bad day. Uh, you can probably have a bad couple of hours, um, but if but if you're trying to hit your target, I think uh, mentally prepare for a lot of pain and pushing through a lot of a lot of uh, distress to try and uh, achieve my goal. You know, um, but I think it'll take. The physical preparation will be pretty much the same, but the but the mental preparation will will have to be there. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to ask what your target is for the 48 hours because, as you know, I probably have a good idea of what it is. Now, before we finish up, you're quite elusive and very hard to find any information out there about you. You're not really one for social media, or I don't think you've done any or many podcasts. If somebody wanted to follow you. Are you in any way active now on Instagram or how can they keep up to date with what you're doing? No, not, not really. Okay. Um, after I ran Mizzen to Malin, I tried to get more active on social media because really I was trying to... You tried for a day, Ed. Get it. <laughs> I, was trying to, uh, I was trying to get a sponsor, so I thought, I'll go on Instagram and get 10,000 followers or something, but it, just, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. Um, so I tried to be more to get more on social media and, and, and maybe encourage a sponsor to, to come but it's it's just not me I knew it wasn't for me so yeah well you but, never but, know but and the, the shoe brand yeah. you use is, is Hoka I remember the run from that's not Hoka yeah. 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 yeah you wear in the Clifton if you're looking to get in touch I'm like I'm on Facebook it's really all I use I don't use anything else Strava or Instagram or Twitter Um, yeah I'm on Facebook and you know you're always welcome I've, I've said this uh, publicly uh, anyone's welcome to message me privately and ask me anything and I'll tell them anything they want to know to, you know to try and help them but yeah f- Facebook but you won't see too much on there either at the same time you know. Okay Ed I'm conscious of your time now and thank you very much for a very informative interview you've given some great advice there and for anyone tuning in, if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review on Apple iTunes, subscribing or passing this on to a friend. So until next time, thank you.